up their preseason at one and two after they lost in the last minute on Saturday against the uh, Tennessee Titans. So now you got to get down from 80 players to 53, a process that all 32 teams will be uh, undergoing within the next day or so. Uh, Cardinals included, and they do have some questions. I think there's obviously a lot of spots already wrapped up, but uh, we seem to be focusing on a couple of different um, p- positions, and and most of them on offense right. in terms of flexibility. Quarterback, do you keep three? Running back, is Daryl Williams part of the mix? Some people don't believe so. And what do you do with the wide receiver position? Yeah. How much... Uh, are you influenced by what you saw from Greg Dortch and Andy Isabella? How much are you influenced by Antoine Wesley's health status? Uh, he has not played in the preseason. He's got the groin injury that looked really bad when it happened, but apparently not as serious as it looked. Um, so those are those are the big questions right now. That affects maybe some other spots and some other positions on that roster. Yeah, and so it really comes down to how many offensive skill players do you feel comfortable taking at the at the expense of other positions, primarily offensive line and all across the board on defense, especially with what might be coming in terms of adding bodies to the secondary. I find this to be a fascinating question because to me – I, I believe that the Cardinals have enough running back where they could save the money and and cut Daryl Williams. That they don't. I, I'm not sure they need him. But again, that's putting a lot of stock into this, the, the the brief samples we have seen uh, of preseason football. Mm-hmm. And in terms of what he's been able to accomplish, they they acquired him for a reason because they thought they might need to replace Chase Edmonds. Although they did it did take them longer than we all thought to yes. acquire mm-hmm. him. It was rumored for a while before it happened. You're yeah. right, Jared. Yeah. So I I think I think Greg Dorch deserves to what a Dorch. I think he deserves to make this team and I think like you said earlier, if you run preseason football and you ask fringe guys to compete and play as hard and as often as they have and none of them ever get rewarded, that's not a good program to run. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it's it's you're already making a clear line of delineation when 38 guys, whatever the number was on, on Saturday, don't have to play, and the rest of y'all, well, suck it up. Do you remember the name William Powell? I do, <laughs> I do remember. He had like 500 carries in a game, didn't he? <laughs> I think he had 30 didn't plus he file, carries. Filed some a complaint with the National <laughs> Labor Relations Board afterwards. He could have. He could have. Um, yeah, so that yep. I mean that's the way you see some teams treat it. Mm-hmm. I think at the quarterback spot, Trace McSorley was very uneven uh, on Saturday. Yeah. Started out great and then went like he had a stretch where he went one for thirteen for ten yards after yeah. he started seven for seven. I, I'll tell you this much from the from the end of those games. Even though I I really admire Trace McSorley's grit and some of it, I don't feel like it's oh we have to give him a roster spot. I'm not. I I think they do have to give him a roster spot, but not based on his play. Okay. The uncertainty right. on Colt McCoy well, is a little bit disconcerting right, that, that, right now. That is true. That is true. Uh, Colt McCoy, uh, a second-string quarterback, didn't take a preseason snap. He's had a bit of a, a tired arm, it's been described as. Cliff Kingsbury offered an update on that. We hope to get him out there um, somewhat next week in a limited, uh, lim- limited manner, and then by game week, I expect him to be full go. 
yeah, it's, it, arm fatigue shouldn't last that long. So there, there's something else here. This is not. This is not. Oh, my arm! It's tired. No, he probably is, he got more reps than he normally would have when Kyler Murray wasn't participating. How many years has he been playing, days. though? I know. <laughs> It's not like he's coming right out of college and he's not used to you know this off season. Oh, I mean, these these NFL balls are heavier. No, it's it's yeah. I don't think any. Yeah, I I think there's there's something a little more here than just that. At the running back spot, okay. I feel comfortable saying that two guys have roster spots locked up: James Conner and, and Eno Benjamin. Jonathan Ward's banged up again. That throws a wrench into all of it, mm-hmm. at least to, to some degree. Uh, Keontae Ingram's been good. I thought he was good on Saturday. Mm-hmm. He had a uh, you know, pretty sizable workload at running back and performed pretty well. Daryl Williams had a touchdown. We've seen very little of him. There's been very little talk about him. I'm still sticking by what I said last week, that Daryl Williams, you know, as a veteran and a respected veteran who played on a Super Bowl team, if the Cardinals didn't have him in their plans, they're probably letting him go a little bit earlier. A chance to catch on before this flood of 800 cut players hits the waiver wire. You would think, but then again, we're still two weeks away. So True. there's still a lot of time left, and and maybe the, yeah, I I see both sides of that. I, I, I like you. I look at Keontae Ingram, and it just it just looks like this guy has got quality NFL back written all over him. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it, it's uh, it, but obviously as a seventh round pick. Is that somebody that you can wave and maybe sneak back through on your practice squad? Maybe, maybe you might have a shot with him. So if I'm if I'm carving this roster and Jonathan Ward's good to go because of his special teams prowess, he's making the team. Mm-hmm. I'm going Connor Benjamin Ward Williams as my four, and hopefully you can keep Keontae Ingram and put him on the practice yes. squad. But if not, you'd lose him for good. But I'm not by any circumstance keeping five wide or five running backs on this no, opening I, I, day I, roster. I don't think they can. I, I I think that's especially with what they've got to do at wide receiver to contingency plan for DeAndre Hopkins. Offensive line with their injuries, mm-hmm. they probably got to keep mm-hmm. an extra person there. I also found it interesting at the wide receiver spot. We know Hopkins is gone for six weeks. He doesn't count against the 53. There's an exception for him. So you're going with Brown, Moore, Green, and then a combination of Wesley, Isabella, Dorch, Victor Bolden maybe in the mix. Josh Weinfurst from ESPN on his 53-man roster uh, projection Mm -hmm. had Victor Bolden making the team, the former USFL player, who was, was good this offseason. He, he was. He, up and down again. Um, you know, he, he muffed a punt the other night, made a spectacular catch, dropped another one. Uh, but he's got ability. But he had him making the roster over Andy Isabella. Does that mean that Andy Isabella's play in the preseason, plus the fact that he was a second-round pick, plus the 4-3 speed, does that make him a, 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 trade, a trade candidate? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question because if you were if you were another football team, what incentive would you have to make any trades before cut down day? It just doesn't seem yeah. it yeah. doesn't seem like something you would do. You yeah. would call the Cardinals bluff and be like, yeah. all right, yeah, keep them. Yeah, sure, right. keep them on the roster. Yeah, 
And it's, but and again, they're going to have to be very careful in how they analyze him because because he has he he is run by people this preseason. It, but he's again, had he's had one at least one play in every preseason game where he ran past the coverage mm-hmm. and then on an underthrown ball drew a pass interference for for a lot of yardage. Yep. And and he had and he had a, a real big play on Saturday and it was. It was kind of the game that I looked at and I said, he's going to make this team now. I, I, but I also think there's a lot of political uh, attached to that too. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to be gained if you're Steve Kime from, from, Getting this guy reformed, but then again, what if this guy is Sasan Reddick? What if he flashes right at the end of his contract, well, look, and then you let him go? And let, then he, let's look into the future. Let's yeah. say they cut down to fifty three, and they just flat out cut Andy Isabella. After what he showed this preseason, you hung on to him for three years, I and know, after what right, he showed this right, preseason, right. when you have a shortage of wide receiver for six weeks, I know he's that, got, he's got to make it. I think he I think he will, and I think Greg Dortch has been so good; he's got to make it too. I think they're both on the team, Vinny. Greg Dortch looks like he's better than Rondell Moore and AJ Green. I listen. Well, I, we haven't I, seen them play. I know, <laughs> right? Uh, the Rondell Moore thing is weird to me. I know I brought this up last week. That's weird that he didn't play at all. Because what has he done to deserve the entire offseason? Off. Completely agree with you. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, the Who, are heading to Ak Chin Pavilion on October 30th for their The Who Hits Back Tour. Tickets go on sale this Thursday at 10 a.m., but you can win a pair now by visiting the contest page at ArizonaSports.com. Coming up next, we'll continue to talk football, the Cardinals variety. We'll be joined by Lorenzo Alexander straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings live from the Ak Chin Community Studios, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings. You know, it'll be a work in progress, um, just going into a second year. Um, but he's gotten better and better, and the read and react is, is by far where I've seen the biggest improvement. Uh, last year, I thought it was wait and let it come to you, and now he's seeing things. He's just triggering, and he's, he's going to tackle the ball. And uh, We know he's got a physical trace to be a special player in this league, and he's just got to continue to uh, to get the reps and put in the work. Cliff Kingsbury on Saturday when asked the question, how regular season ready is Zayvon Collins going into year two? Uh, here to talk Cardinals football with us. Former NFL player, NFL analyst, our own uh, Lorenzo Alexander checking in here on Bickley and Murata Morning. Zoe, what's up, man? I'm doing great this morning. How you guys doing? Doing good. I'll ask you the same question from what you saw this preseason. How regular season ready is Zayvon Collins in your mind? I mean, I, he's gotten better. And, you know, I don't want to put a damper on him. I know the young man has been working and stuff. Um, I've had a chance to go out there several times throughout um, training camp and just watch him practice and, and watch him flow. So I definitely think he's better as far as understanding. You know, just, you know, I'm a stickler. I'm a linebacker. And so I'm, I'm probably extremely biased. But just the hand use and just being violent once he gets there and getting off blocks, I still think he needs to continue to work on that. Sometimes I think he may be overthinking and he. He's not as uh, fluid and athletic as he can be because we've all seen it. And so I, I still think he's, you know, he's just still, still in that growth process of developing as a, as a linebacker for whatever reason. He hasn't transcended as quickly as we wanted to. And so um, hopefully that, that continues to happen throughout the season. And by the end of it, they're, you know, obviously in contention as a team and, and he's playing much better as the season progresses. Would it shock you if week one against Kansas City, the Cardinals inside linebacker, to start things out were Nick Vigil and Tanner Vallejo. How shocking would that be to you? Um, it wouldn't be that shocking. 
um, because you know, I, it, I guess in a way it would be because you invested a lot of money in the first round pick. That would be shocking. But if you just take the football it's, sense and how guys are playing and, and how productive you are, that it wouldn't shock me uh, from that perspective. Because um, I think Zayvon just has a lot to to still grow and be confident. And I and I'm not quite sure. And obviously, I'm not in the in the locker room and going over stuff. How sure he is of where he needs to be and how he needs to get there, and sometimes that can cost you, you know, plays. And at the end of the day, coaches are always worried about, you know, who can I trust, who I know is going to be the most productive. But it's, it's a balancing act, right, between mm-hmm. that high pick and then going with guys that you know are able to do it at a high level. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a little concerned. I, I've not seen a linebacker of his size come in and initiate contact with his shoulders as much as he does, which is, which is sort of gotten him swallowed up by a lot of blocks so far this preseason why is why is he doing that as a technique we just had a little technical problems i'm going to call him on the phone oh okay um so talk amongst yourselves for a second here all right um going back to what i asked um zoe about uh the the starting inside linebackers not at all shocked if it's Mm -hmm. vallejo yeah and uh, well, Nick Vigil so would be you, so, Okay, so you're thinking Isaiah Simmons would start in the secondary or not at all? Well, he's going to be that star backer, so. Um, okay. You know, it, so he's going to be somewhere a, on the it's field. It's a different okay. delineation. Okay. Basically, and, and Wolf talked about this yeah. on the preseason game, with that alignment, you're basically running a 4 2 5. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of if, what you're if Isaiah doing. Isaiah Simmons has practiced as much as he has with the safeties. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't Arizona State try that defense once to disastrous results? Yes, yes. That's what I thought. And now, uh, Lorenzo Alexander joining us on the uh, All Arizona right, so Sports as line. I was saying, uh, when you take a look at, at Zayvon Collins and, and, and just some of his flawed technique, what, it, dial out and look at the defense because it seems like the Cardinals are hoping in a lot of places. What, what's your level of concern overall about about the talent level on defense? Um, I mean, you, you don't have an all-pro in every position, right? I know that's what all of us always want. You know, fans really want that, and that's not that's not realistic. Um, I mean, you can look around and see some of them, like those AFC West teams and you're like, man, well, they got it. But, you know, generally speaking, you have, you know, four or five really good players, and then everybody else kind of fits. They can obviously play at the NFL level, but collectively you become greater than the sum of your parts by the way you execute, the way the way you communicate, the way you run to the ball, the way you tackle, um, and just, you know, a certain will. And so you talk about chemistry. All those things come together, and you can have a really good defense, even if you look at the guys are like, man, I don't know if he can play or not. Mm-hmm. And then it also allows those certain guys – to definitely develop as the season goes on because you get into a good rhythm, a good vibe, and you have a good culture within that defense as far as working on the fundamentals. And so I look at their spots. I mean, I, I like the guys up front, and I like the tackles that they have. They push the pocket. I like Dennis Gardeck. You know, ho- hopefully Marcus gets healthy and they can come off the edge. Um, I, obviously, Buddha and, and what they bring on the back end with Jalen Thompson. I'm a huge fan of his and how he plays when he's in the box as well and on the back end. And so I think they have – the components to do it, it's all about what is their standard, how do they run to the ball, how do they, you know, you know, uh, play together to become greater than what we may see them on paper. And so um, that's going to be the telltale sign. Do they have the ability to do it? I think so. But obviously we all kind of waiting to see what that's going to look like. And I think going back to your, your question about Zayden before we had that issue, um, it, it, for me it comes down to, to, to a couple of things. It comes down to coaching a lot of times. 
and you know, there's all different grades of coaching. I'm talking about position coaches here. As far as what are you teaching your guys in order to be successful? Some guys are just great X and O guys. I can explain it to you. Some guys are also great technicians where I can also show you how to do what I'm telling you to do. And so there may be a little bit of disconnect there as far as, you know, how do I use my hands and get off? How do I be violent? How do, how, what do I, how do I train my eyes? You know, am I, is he experiencing those type of drills every single day to really help him be the best version of himself when he steps out there on, on the, um, the field to be productive, to uh, allow his athleticism and his size to really be um, – come alive in in a way that we know it can because we've seen it we've seen glimpses it's just not consistent yeah. so that just that talks to me about fundamentals and really understanding and not having that that rep work and, and foundation to really rely on so you don't have to think as much about it, it just comes natural to you lorenzo alexander our guest here on bickley and Murata mornings i want to ask you about a long shot um manny jones is a guy undrafted defensive lineman out of colorado state Played a lot in the preseason, 104 snaps in three games, and put up big numbers. He had 10 tackles, four tackles for loss, a quarterback sack. Bick and I were talking about yeah. it. That's exactly what you want a guy who's battling for a roster spot to do in the preseason. Uh, right. In reality, though, how, how good do you think his chances are of making the team? Um, you, you just never know. It's, it's all about how roster construction goes and how many tackles you want to keep. Is your position heavy or not? And you, you always want to tell players, don't think about that. That's, that's out of control. He's done his job. And at the very least, he's under a, a roster spot on, on, on the practice squad, at least getting guys ready. And if some other guys around the league, we used to always say, man, you, you're always putting your resume out there. And by him going out there, being productive, uh, is going to give him um, a, a great chance of being picked up when somebody when guys go down, or definitely obviously being able to stay here to help this team get prepared since he's familiar. And then if somebody goes down again on the defensive line, to be able to step into that spot and at least people know, okay, well he, he's made some plays, he's been productive. We can trust him to go put him out there. There have been some coaches in this preseason. Cliff Kingsbury is one of them who doesn't want to expose any starters to preseason football. And there's guys yeah. like Bill Belichick and Andy Reid, two of the smartest coaches in the business, who still believe that these reps matter. Where are you at, at on the importance of preseason reps for individual players? Uh, yeah, I think I am. And, and I was a guy that was undrafted, right? So I had a mentality that I needed to be out there. Um, and so I had to uh, – so. Be aware of that. And so I think I'm kind of in the midpoint. I, I needed – I wasn't good enough to where I could just show up on week one and be game ready as far as how fast the game is moving, some of the moves I wanted to work. Some things you just can't do in practice because it isn't live. It isn't full goal. I don't know if I can make this play because I, I bent the corner, but it looks like I can say, oh, I made that, Coach. Well, did you really make that play? And so preseason gave me the ability to, to bend corners, extend, try some things to say, okay, I, I'm in position to make tackles and then have the film to kind of back it up. So for me, it gave me confidence. Now, some of these guys that are uber-talented, that are off the charts, some of the quarterbacks, some of the running backs, defensive linemen, they don't, they don't really need it. I mean, they're just great players, uber players, and, but I do think young guys need to take some reps a little bit just to expose themselves to some real-life contact, and you always are constantly balancing you know, the risk-reward to that. And, um, and for me, I thought it was worth the risk to go out there um, for me to be the best version of myself when it came game time and, and, and things were alive and they counted. Zoe, good stuff. Thanks for joining us this Thank morning. You, we'll talk again soon.
Right, fellas, appreciate you, man. Appreciate Mike. you, man. Lorenzo Alexander, our NFL analyst, he joined us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, we'll tackle the big stories of the day through the Rush Hour reboot. That's straight ahead here on Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Yeah, we do. Go through the big stories of the day. We call it the Rush Hour Reboot every day at 7.30. Here to take us through it, Zach Larson. Take it away, Zach. All righty. Let's start off with the Arizona Cardinals. Their final preseason game came and went on Saturday, and the Tennessee Titans were the victors in that one. 26-23 the final score, but the final result does not matter unless you're the Baltimore Ravens. Saturday was an evaluation for all position groups, especially on the offensive side of the ball. The skill groups have been the talk of the town. The running back and wide receiver rooms are stacked with talent. Running backs Eno Benjamin, Daryl Williams, Jonathan Ward, and Keontae Ingram are vying for the backup spot behind James Conner. And then over with the wide receivers, Andy Isabella, Victor Bolden Jr., and Greg Dorch have really impressed through three games this preseason, making it hard to pick one over the other. So which one would you guys prefer break or prefer breaking down? The wide receiver room or the running back room? Which is a harder one to make the cuts? I think the wide receiver room is harder. Yeah, I think the running back room is harder because I've already made up my mind on the wide receivers, but they're both they're, they both have some interesting challenges. Yeah. yeah, it's it's it to me. I look at Greg Dorch and I look at Andy Isabella, and I think they're both on the team. And as somebody pointed out to me, us on Twitter, the Cards have to hang on to Andy's Andy Isabella so we can flash, and the Jaguars can pay him ninety million bucks next year. I love, I love that. <laughs> I love that too. Um, I don't know. I think they're close. He he votes for one. I vote for the other. Yeah, but the linchpin for all of it is what the Cardinals want to do with Daryl Williams uh, at the running back yeah, spot, right? Um, which it doesn't seem to be any clear consensus on it. Some people believe that he's a shoe in to make it. Other people believe he's going to be a cut. Uh, I'm real curious to see how they deal with that one. The interesting thing about the whole thing is that we're talking about, will they keep four running backs? Will they keep five running backs? The odds of them using any more than two running backs is so slim. Very they, true. They barely even use two running backs in Cliff Kingsbury's system. I know. So it, it's funny that, that they could potentially keep four or five of them. Yeah, last year we saw Connor be the number one running back and a big workload for Chase Edmonds, I would be shocked if the number two running back gets as many touches as Chase Edmonds. Remember how it played the year before that? Yeah. With Kenyon Drake and almost nobody else. True. Now over on the defensive side of the ball, I think the one player we all agree who has the most to prove this upcoming season is Zayvon Collin. And he had some flashes against the Tennessee Titans. Now the Titans with that power run game look as they have an eye formation. Fullback checks into the game and a give to their tailback. Haskins trying the right side. Nothing doing. He is stacked up and thrown down. Zayvon Collins in the backfield. A big tackle for loss and he gets up to celebrate. Paul Calvisi on the call. Over the three preseason games and training camp with what you guys have heard and seen, are you confident in Zayvon being the week one starter at linebacker against the Kansas City Chiefs? Oh yeah, no, absolutely not. I, I think he did it. I think he flashed a little bit early on Saturday, which was good to see because it, it, at least it means he was playing fast and decisive but, yeah, I'm a little bit worried. Yeah, he didn't play a ton. He played early. He did have the tackle for loss, but even on that tackle for loss, we saw that technique again. Zoe just talked to, to us uh, about it.
it, where he, instead of, and Wolf pointed it out on the broadcast again, he took on a blocker with his shoulder and was able to drive through the blocker and make the tackle, but, you know, you want to see more hand usage. I, I have never seen an impact linebacker in the NFL run to the point of contact and then turn his body sideways and try to move somebody with his shoulder. It's a very weird technique that either tells you he doesn't feel confident that his technique and his hands and his strength can move the guy, but he's been swallowed up because of that technique an awful lot. What yeah. I hope it is, is it's not just somebody from a small school, which he is, that was just able to run over guys well, his whole life. That's the worry. That's the worry. And now he's out here and he doesn't have the same confidence. Well, because he is a specimen, let's be honest. I mean, he's a huge individual. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of huge So to answer your question, Zach, uh, I echo Vic. I'm not at all confident he'll be the uh, the day one starter. All righty. Over- echo Bic? Is that right next to Echo Park? <laughs> Lincoln Park. Echo Bic. Delta. Bra- hey. Bravo. Oh. Central Park. <laughs> Over to base. Gorky Park. <laughs> Candlestick Park. <laughs> Grace Park. Yeah. Zach's thinking, think what are these weirdos doing? <laughs> All right. He's All been right. around us enough. Yeah, he yes. has been. Yeah. Over to baseball now. Corbin Carroll keeps it professional, though, as you can see in the he preview. He does. doesn't yes. get involved in the nonsense. Yeah, that's all right. It's okay. <laughs> Corbin Carroll is, or his debut is creeping closer, as reported by Steve Gilbert over at MLB.com. He is joining the Arizona Diamondbacks today. Now he joins an outfield with plenty of young talent. You have Al Thomas, Jake McCarthy, and Dalton Varsho, who have all taken time at the outfield positions and have made some spectacular catches over the season, making it a little bit difficult to pick one over the other. With Carroll being out of this question, kind of locking one of the outfield spots, who is the odd man out out of this outfield? Is it Thomas, McCarthy, or Varsho? Ooh. Well, I I think probably McCarthy, unless you want to... Has there been any rumblings to have Dalton Varsho start catching again? Not with the way that Carson Kelly yeah, is playing. He, and, and he, he's rebounded very, very well in the past month and a couple weeks. Yeah, I think so, I think you're right. I like Jake McCarthy. He was really clutch over the weekend. Had mm-hmm. you know, a four hit game, then the, the, the run scoring, uh, the game winning hit basically yesterday. Uh, and he's got a ton of speed. He's probably your fourth guy if, I if think that's so. your group moving I forward. I think so. Which yeah. is which is not a bad thing to be. In today's Major League Baseball, you're not playing the same three outfielders every day. We know how much Tori Lavello likes to shift the uh, shift the lineup, so it's it's not a bad place to be. But I, I think he would be their fourth guy. All right, and how about some college football to wrap it up? Over Woo-hoo! the over the weekend, Ireland hosted an international game, the Aer Lingus College Football Classic between Northwestern and Nebraska. An entertaining game as Northwestern scored fourteen unanswered and won thirty-one to twenty-eight. What are your guys' thoughts on college football playing overseas, and do you see it potentially expanding into other countries? Well, I thought it was very cool that that stadium in Ireland, when the Wi-Fi went out, they offered free beer to everybody, and then everybody in the stadium just smothered the concourse. But I, I think thought, it was weird that Scott Frost partook in the free beer, apparently, well, with some of his decision-making. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the, the the one takeaway from the game is is that if Herm Edwards were on a hot seat, which we both agree he's not, but if he were, he just got replaced. 
the number one guy in a hot seat is Scott Frost. Uh, to be up the way they were at that point in the third quarter and just to attempt an onside kick to be cute, to be funny, to be yeah, uh, that was oh, that was a that was a turning point in the game, man. They wanted to put the final nail in the that coffin. That was a turning point to the game. To answer your question, Zach, it was cool. I, I mean, it's an opportunity for the fans to go overseas. I know there was a lot of fans for both teams that made the trip. Is it necessary? College football is a, a uniquely American uh, experience, and I remember. ASU going over, over to, going uh, to Japan to play a game. They played the University of Houston in 1990, and I think they gave up a thousand yards of offense. So I've always had that bad taste in my mouth about international games. They're not expanding. Save all your Big Ten expanding to Europe jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it just it's it's all for for pomp and circumstance. And it I was guess good to see real football. It back. was. It was. Yeah. Even though that was the only game I even tried to watch any of. Week zero was not great this year. It was the only game that really had two real, quote-unquote, teams playing each other. Yeah. On the Scott Frost thing, remember Bill Callahan, the coach of Nebraska? Well, yeah. And and how, like, much criticism he, he got. He was sort of like the first big name after Tom Osborne, and Nebraska wasn't the... Scott Frost would have to win 50 consecutive games just to get to the record that Bill Callahan had when he got fired. I don't know if it's Bill Callahan. Wasn't it Bo Pelini? Or was it Bo Pelini? I'm taking yeah. Oh, whatever. Yeah. This is why you don't... Just cut This, this is why we shouldn't bring you on the radio. Shut up, Jared. Shut up, Jared. That's good. <laughs> Bo Pelini. Good stat, though, huh? A great stat. Long name. Halfway wrong, stat. but good stat. Yeah. yeah 28-17. I'll cut that out of the podcast. Yeah. Don't worry. Oh, I'm sure you will. <laughs> if you're not listening live, you're going to have no idea that I screwed that up. <laughs> We'll mention it in every segment. No. We have to cut it out of every segment. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Uh, Rush Hour Reboot every morning at uh, 7.30. Coming up next, there is a trade proposal being written about in the NBA that is sure to make Phoenix Suns fans sick to their stomach. So we'll share it with you next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Seven FM, Arizona's sports station. Dan Bickley, Vince Morata. Bickley and Morata mornings. Can we get out of football mode for a second? Uh, Jared brought this to my attention this morning, and I had somewhat of a visceral reaction to it. So I will share it with you. All right, good. <laughs> Heavy.com, uh, sports website that's out there. Uh, they have an NBA writer, Sean Devaney, longtime NBA writer. Um, and this focuses this this article focuses on the Lakers and what do you do with Anthony Davis the Lakers are running out of trade options LeBron James locked up for another two-year extension uh, Anthony Davis still there obviously the Lakers dealing with a lot of dysfunction and disappointment last year much of it had to do with Anthony Davis and his health status mm-hmm. uh, they write Anthony Davis is the key to this whole thing when healthy he's one of the five best players in the NBA the problem is he's rarely been healthy the last two seasons the Lakers paid a fortune to land him from the New Orleans Pelicans and he's only lost value in the last two years if Los Angeles truly feels like his value will only decline they could consider trading him before it's too late Heavy.com's Sean Devaney spoke to a Western Conference executive who could see a possible deal where Davis gets sent to the Phoenix Suns for a package surrounding DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson. Wow. The quote from the executive was, Phoenix would be an interesting fit, too, once Ayton can be traded. 
They could do a uh, could do Cam Johnson and Aiton, something like that. I'm sure L.A. would expect a big return for Davis, but with the injuries the last few years, it would be tough to trade him. There's a lot of reasons why they'd keep him, but that is one. You're not going to get fair value because of his injuries. I would love for I would love for that to happen just to see what, how you would handle that after bad mouthing him for the last two years. That would be excellent. Has it only been two that years? That would be excellent. I would I would want that to happen just to see you become his biggest fan. <laughs> I can assure you okay. that would never happen. Okay, do you think do you do you buy that? Do you think that's even remotely possible? Um I mean, this is the opinion of one Western Conference executive. Mm-hmm. So is it completely out of the realm of possibility? No. Is it close to completely out of the realm of possibility? Mm-hmm. I say yes. Yeah. First of all, from the Lakers' standpoint, let's face it. When Anthony Davis is healthy, I said it with a straight face, <laughs> he is a good player. <laughs> uh-huh. And if you are to the point where you want to unload him, are you unloading him to a team that's 357 miles east of you in your division? Probably not. Yeah. Because of the ability for that to blow up in your face still would exist. Mm-hmm. Would they do it for DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson? You know, neither guy is an all-star yet. Um, mm-hmm. I think Ayton could be on that trajectory very soon. Uh, I think this is going to be a big year for Cam Johnson. I, I I don't know. I think they would probably, if they were going to unload Anthony Davis, I think you'd probably try to unload him for something different. It, yeah, Kevin Durant. Kevin, that's... That's the thing that came into my mind, too, when you're talking about Anthony Davis is never healthy. Kevin Durant is very rarely healthy, too. Well, what I mean is that, like, if you're going to trade Anthony Davis, don't you think the Lakers would offer him for Kevin Durant first before they would try to trade him for DeAndre Ayton? Yeah, like that, that's that, that a makes huge, sense. A huge trade chip. That maybe makes that sense. already happened this summer, and we don't know about uh, it. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That's interesting. But it, but really, I think it's it's one of the thing, things like you just laid out there. If the Lakers suddenly wanted to trade Anthony Davis, they would do so because they were sick of him and his unavailability. If he was, if he was missing tons of action again throughout the first couple months of the season, why would the Suns want him? Why would anyone want him if it's more of that? Yeah, I think... Because Vinny's right. You're right. He does wear you out. Because we've watched basketball games together where Anthony Davis will like just fall to the ground and he'll just grab his ankle like he's just the softest little buttercup out there. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh, his career's over again. (laughs) And 30 seconds later, he gets up and shoots free throws. (laughs) Right. And players like that, yeah, it's hard to to respect guys like that. I'm with you on that. He um he appears to be structurally unsound. Yeah, he that's, does. That's the phrase I use. Yeah, but if on the, healthy on, though. What is what? Is, what would you say? He's a top six, eight player in the NBA though. It's just that he's been. Oh, he was he was considered top three at one point in time. Uh, again, the availability thing has been such an issue with him. It, it's it's taken him out of the entire picture. If you ask me, the other aspect to consider in all of this is the sun side of things, and something that. Uh, you know, has been rumbled about, and 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 you had heard this too that hey, maybe the the Suns don't want DeAndre Ayton after all. And if you could turn DeAndre Ayton into an Anthony Davis, would you do then, it? Yeah, yeah. I I think that uh, I'm sure Cam Johnson has got something. I won't call it a made man status, but that's that's James Jones' jewel of a draft pick. You know, he was part of the draft. I've been told that that he was the one that was behind Mikhail Bridges, um, that at that time, 
Ryan McDonough wanted to execute a trade that would have would have netted the son Shea Gilgis Alexander. But listen, to me, he was still the assistant GM at that time. So so I think the Cam Johnson pick is something that you, you got to find out what this kid's going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And as you mentioned, this is a big, big year. And I, and I think a lot of the thinking as it relates to Jay Crowder is one of these things that, listen, we drafted this kid in the first round. This kid is flashed. This kid was really starting to elevate before he got hurt last year that we've got to put him under that microscope. Yeah, I fully expect him to be in the starting lineup this year. Right. But but the thing about DA that's that's also true too because if the Suns made that decision to me they made that decision because things really did get untenable between the organization and DA and and if that is the case then I do think they're going to look to trade him at some point in time unless something dramatic happens. So it's it's going to be quite something because these are very heavy decisions you're going to have to make because it's it's hard enough trying to figure out whether the Suns do have enough to get back to an NBA Finals. And here's the other thing. Anytime there's any unhappy star or superstar in the NBA throughout the entire season, they're going to bring up DeAndre Ayton. And Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson. Mm-hmm. And any any of the NBA analysts, any of these columns, they're always going to bring up the Suns as a possible trade target for any star that becomes available mm-hmm. because of the way this offseason played out. Yeah. Sure. But to your question, um, I, I don't believe the thinking nationally is the Suns do have enough to, to compete for a championship right now. Yeah, because I agree. there hasn't been substantial increase in talent level they might actually have been without JaVale McGee maybe taking a step back from where they were last year but this is largely the same group that was two games away from winning a championship two years ago why wouldn't it be enough yeah now the best record in the NBA by far last year the one thing we don't consider too is we are you know summing up all these teams sizing up all these teams right now based on 100% availability which is an absolute myth in the NBA that applies for the Suns too no I I agree with you but it's it's gotten to the point now where people are throwing shade on the Suns to the point where they're really acting like winning 60 games in the NBA is like it's like fools it's like false hustle in baseball it's to me, to me, the narrative has really gotten lost around the Phoenix Suns, and people have really now quit focusing on what might have happened to destroy the chemistry. They're focusing on the result. Ah, see, they 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 weren't that good. They never were that good. They were just beating teams that didn't care about regular season basketball. That opens the door for guys like Patrick Beverly to go on ESPN and says, nobody's staying up late at night worrying about the Phoenix Suns. Yep. Nobody's scared of them. Yep. Well, we'll, right. s- we'll see if yep. that's indeed the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up next, we're halfway through on this Monday. Bix got your blast. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.